Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessing on our time this morning as we come to your word. Lord, we pray that you would turn our hearts toward your statutes. We pray that our hearts would be turned to your word and not toward selfish gain. Oh, Lord, there are so many things in this world that we could turn to this morning that would be selfish gain. But, Lord, we pray that we would come to your word because we want to honour you. We are wanting what gains for your kingdom, what is gained for your kingdom rather than for ourselves. And we pray that you would help us to understand what your word says as you turn our hearts towards it now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we return after a few weeks' break uh, to John chapter 8, and we've been studying the words of Jesus as he's been interacting with the Jews. He made a remarkable statement at the beginning of chapter 8 in verse 12 where he said, I am the light of the world. And the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, responded by challenging his testimony, his the validity of his testimony that he is the light of the world. And then there's this, been this ongoing interaction between Jesus and the Jewish leaders and possibly the Jewish people themselves. And Jesus has been particularly speaking about their relationship with their father. And they have said that Abraham is their father in verse 33 and 34. Uh, Jesus has interacted with them about that because they, of course, uh, hold Abraham quite highly in their regard. We see that we saw that last time that I preached. In verse 33, it says, They, that's the Jews, they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus has told them that they are slaves, that they need to be set free. But they say, No, we are children of Abraham. We are not enslaved. And then Jesus said in verse 34, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And so he pointed to their sin as testimony, the fact that they are enslaved, that they are not free servants of Abraham, that instead they are enslaved. And so then they have challenged Jesus' assertion that they don't belong to Abraham by saying that they actually belong to God. If you won't acknowledge that Abraham is our father, well... They say, we are not illegitimate children, in verse 41. The only father we have is God himself. And so that is what uh, was at the end of the reading from last time, this claim that they belong to God, that God is their father. And so today I want to look at this Jesus' response to their assertion that God is their father. What does Jesus say in response to their assertion that God is their father? Well, he makes quite an audacious statement in verse 44 about who their father is. What does Jesus say? Verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. They have claimed that God is their father. What does Jesus say? Your father isn't God. Your father is the devil, which is quite an audacious claim to make, particularly when you consider that these are people who are Jews. They're meant to be people who are sons of the living God. And instead, Jesus says they're the opposite of what they claim. You can't get further than God as father if the devil is your father. That is the complete opposite of the claim that God is your father. Now, why would Jesus say that? Why would he make this outrageous statement 
the Jews would be highly offended by that the devil is their father. Well, it has to do with their desires, what they are wanting to do, and particularly their interaction with Jesus. What do they want to do with Jesus? They want to kill him. They want to put him to death. Again and again, we've seen that in John's Gospel and even in chapter 8. And in verse 58, or verse 59 of John chapter 8, what do they do? Skip down to the end of the chapter. Verse 59, last verse, it says, At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. What is their desire? Their desire is to murder Jesus. And what does that show? It shows they belong to Satan. Satan is a murderer. His desire has been to kill. And we see that in verse 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. The desire of Satan is to murder the sons of God. And what are you wanting to do? You're wanting to murder the son of God, myself, which shows who your father actually is. Satan has been a murderer from the beginning. He murdered in the garden. He got there, he got in the ear of Eve, got in the ear of Adam, and what happened? They died. Son, son and daughter of God. Adam is a son of God. He was created by God. And the devil murdered him by leading him to sin against God. And then Cain and Abel, another act of murder from Satan himself. He used Cain to murder a son of God, Abel. Part of the godly line, he was murdered by Satan. And then, of course, we see Satan's desire to murder Jesus throughout the Gospels, and he eventually does murder the Son of God. And so when the Jews want to kill Jesus, they're showing who their father is. They're showing their true colours. You don't go around killing the children of those that you call your father. You don't kill your brothers. If you claim that someone is your father and then you have one of their children come to you, you don't go and murder that person. If you claim to love someone, you don't kill their children. But that's what the Jews were doing. They were wanting to kill Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so Jesus can make, with good reason, this claim that you are children of the devil. So we ask ourselves this morning, how can you know then if you belong to God, if God is your father, if you are truly a Christian, if God is the one that you worship as God. Well, it all focuses around how you interact with Jesus. And verse 42 tells us how you can know if you belong to God, if God is your father. What does Jesus say in verse 42? Jesus said to them, if God were your father, if God were your father, what would you do? You would love me, for I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Many people would like to believe that you can have God as your father and completely ignore Jesus Christ. There are many religions in the world. There are many religions out there. And people think that they can worship God, the God that created the heavens and the earth, who created them, and completely ignore Jesus or even be hostile towards Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, if you lift a finger against me, if you do not love me, then your allegiance is to Satan, because that is what Satan does. He attacks the children of God and he attacks the Son of God. He is the great murderer. 
There are many religions in the world, but in the eyes of Jesus, in the eyes of God, there are only two families. There's the family of God, with people who love Jesus, and there's the family of Satan. Everyone can be divided into two camps. They can claim there are all types of religions out there, all types of persuasions, all types of philosophies. But realistically, there's only two in the world, two philosophies, two religions, two families. Family of God, people who love Jesus, the family of Satan, who are intent upon destroying the sons of God. Now, why is this important for us to note? Well, we as Christians must remember to cultivate a love for Jesus Christ. If we claim God as our Father, we cannot ignore Jesus Christ. We must be lovers of Jesus. We must love him, as he says there in verse 42. If God were your Father, you would love me. As Christians, sometimes it's easy to sound like a good Jew or a good Muslim or even maybe a Hindu who just talks about God, 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 God all the time. And Jesus doesn't come in the vocabulary. If a Christian sounds like that, there's no concern for Jesus Christ. Got to wonder, who is their father after all? Maybe they don't attack Jesus, but they certainly don't appear to love him. And so we as Christians have to remember that we are lovers of Jesus. If God is our father, we are lovers of Jesus Christ. And we need to cultivate that love in us. For about the last six months, I've been exploring this in my own relationship with God and how I usually pray to God the Father. And in one sense, that's right and fitting because Jesus, when his disciples ask him, how should we pray? He says, you should pray our Father, art in heaven and so forth. But if I have a relationship with someone, I should speak to him directly as well. And so I've been considering my prayers and how I relate to God and the time that I should be speaking specifically to Jesus Christ and the love that I should have for Jesus himself, not simply Jesus as the son of the Father. So how do we cultivate greater love? I've been trying to do this for the last six months or so, trying to increase my love for Jesus. Of course, we need to increase our love for the Holy Spirit as well, uh, but that's another topic of conversation, uh, which will happen, I'm sure, when we continue through John's Gospel. The Holy Spirit does feature very heavily later in John's Gospel. But at this point in time, Jesus wants people to understand that if you love him, then you show your allegiance is indeed to the Father. So how do we cultivate a love for Jesus? How do we show love for Jesus? Well, it's by looking at how we love other people that we claim to love in this world. How do we love our parents, our mother and our father? How do we love our grandparents? How do we love our brothers and sisters? How do we show love for friends? How do we show love for our spouses, for our children? Well, I've got seven ideas for you this morning. We'll see how we go uh, in terms of time. Uh, They should be fairly short, each one, but I've got seven ideas as I reflected on how I show love to those around me how I can learn from that, how I should be loving Jesus Christ. And the first is, we get to know those that we love. We get to know them, and we often work hard at it. When my my parents met at Bible college, they were in classes there um, together, and my father fancied my mother, and she was completely oblivious to the fact she was not at Bible college to find a 
spouse. She was at Bible college to go as a missionary overseas and getting married, I don't think, was much on her mind. Uh, but my father was quite interested in her and he wanted to get to know her. And of course, I don't think, because she, she wasn't interested in him at the time, uh, she wasn't finding out much. But one way that he found out about her is by checking her library record at the college library. Apparently, the old system was there were the cards and you could look up your name and write down what you were borrowing. And so he looked up my mum's name and was very interested in the kind of books that she was borrowing from the Bible College Library. It told her a lot, him a lot about her interests in, uh, in God and in Jesus and the Bible, what she was borrowing. And that's the attitude that we have. If we want to get to know someone that we love, we work hard at it. We show love for that person by wanting to know about them. And I still do this with our family, with Jill, occasionally on date night, if we don't have much to talk about, or when the kids, I take them out for father-son or father-daughter night. I have a list of general questions that I've taken off the internet, and I ask them those questions and find out a little bit about them. And some of them are very um, ridiculous kind of questions, like what superpower would you hate to have? Not what you would like to have, but what would you hate to have? You find out all kinds of interesting things about someone by asking these random questions. For the record, my superpower that I'd hate to have is a sense of smell. Imagine driving past the tip and you've got a super sense of smell. Um, it would be the worst thing, or a, a, a bin day in the suburb, it would be awful. Uh, but you, I ask these questions of my family because I love them. I want to know more about them. And it's the same with Jesus. If we love Jesus, we want to learn about him. We want to know him. We want to know about his past and what he has done. We should be fascinated by his history. And, of course, we learn that in the scriptures as we look at his life here on earth. We see how he lived and what he did. And it's of great interest to us because his actions in the past actually affect us in the present today. His work on earth, his incarnation, the Son of God taking on flesh, his, his suffering here on earth. Just as he's interacting with these Jews, it's quite painful for him, I'm sure. And then, of course, when he goes to the cross and dies the death that we deserve for our sin. It should fascinate us if we love him. If we love him, we should be interested in that and want to find out more. And we shouldn't just want to find out about what he's done in the past. We should be interested about his desires and what he's planning on doing in the future. I do that. I ask my wife, what are you planning on doing through the week? What's, what's on your agenda this week? I'm interested in her plans because I love her. It's the same with Jesus Christ. We should be interested in what he's planning on doing. At Bible study, Tuesday night Bible studies, we're up to like number 155 studies in Mark's gospel. We've been going fairly slowly, uh, but we're coming towards the end. We're in chapter, end of chapter 14 now, and uh, it won't be long now before we're done in Mark's gospel. And I was thinking about what am I going to do after that with the very patient people that have worked through Mark's gospel with us? Well, we've looked very much at Christ's past. Why don't we study Revelation next? That's what I'm thinking. Tuesday night Bible studies. Let's work through Revelation. Why? Well, there's a few reasons. One is because those studies won't be recorded, um, so I won't have to work as hard at trying to work out what is going on in Revelation, um, and so we can work it out uh, together, and I won't have to do as much, uh, be as certain as I am on Sunday mornings as to my interpretation of the text. Uh, Revelation is a very difficult book, but Why would I want to do that? Because I want to know what Jesus is going to do, not just what he has done. I'm interested in his future plans. Why? Because I love him, and I'm hoping that some people will come along to the Bible study who have been coming in the past, and maybe some new people. They will come because they love him as well, and they want to know what he's planning, what are Christ's desires to do at the final judgment when he returns to judge the world. 
So one way that we can show our love for Jesus is by getting to know him. What's another way? Well, it's by thinking about him, by daydreaming about him. Those that we love, we often have our thoughts consumed by them, even when they're not with us. Think of grandparents who have passed away. We love them. We still think about them, even when they're no longer with us. They just come up in our mind. Why does that happen? Happen because we love them. It's the same with Jesus Christ. If we love him, we should daydream about him. We should be thinking about him. We should be meditating upon him. Even though he's not physically present with us yet, will be one day, but he's not physically present with us now. He's spiritually present, yes. But we should be thinking about him, meditating upon him, thinking about how he is our prophet, our priest, our king, our shepherd, our captain, our intercessor, our friend, our spouse. He is our bridegroom. And so we should be thinking about these roles that he has, thinking about how lovely it is to have a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. We should be thinking about that. It should come up in our mind if we love him. God is our father. We should be thinking about Jesus through the day. How else do we show our love for Jesus? Well, we speak to those we love. A good friend is there when we have trouble. And a good friend is there when we rejoice. If you love someone, you talk to them. You may even sing to them. Do that with my children. I don't sing unaccompanied by others very often because I'm not sure how good my voice is. But with the children, I put them to bed. I still sing to them. The favourite song in our house is You Are My Sunshine, My Only Sunshine. You Make Me Happy and Skies Are Grey. The kids love having that sung to them. And I love singing it to them because I love them. It's the same with Jesus Christ. If you love him, you speak to him. You speak to him in prayer. And you may even sing to him. It's what we do on Sundays. We come together and song is a part of our worship. And we sing to one another. And it's nice to hear the tunes and to sing songs that we like. But what is one of the reasons we sing? Because we love Jesus. We love to sing songs like that song that we sang at the beginning, Thine be the glory. We sing verses like the third verse of that where it says, No more we doubt the glorious Prince of life. Who's the Prince of life? Jesus. And so we sing that song. Why? Because we love him. No more we doubt the glorious Prince of life. Life is naught without thee. Aid us in our strife. Make us more than conquerors. Through thy deathless love, lead us in thy triumph to thy home above. Thine be the glory, risen conquering sun. Endless is the victory thou, O death, has won. Why do we sing verses like that? Because we like them. It's traditional. Reminds us of our childhood. I like the tune. I like the old English. Oh, okay, that's nice. Why do we sing them? Because we love Jesus and we love the words that give him praise. We want to honour him. How else do we love Jesus? Well, we can obey those we love. Those that we love, we obey. I hope my children often obey me, not because they're simply scared of punishment that I may inflict upon them, but they actually want to do things for me because they love me. And it's the same with Jesus. If we love him, 
we do what he commands. That's what he says in John chapter 14, a few pages over. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. If you want to do what Jesus commands, it's an expression of love for him. Just like a child loves their parent by doing what they say. It's an expression of love. Five, we've done four already. Firstly, we get to know those we love. Two, we daydream about those we love. They consume our thoughts. Three, we speak to those we love. Four, we obey those we love. Fifthly, how else can we show love for Jesus? We invite people to come and meet those we love. I like to introduce people to my wife. Now, why do I do that? Because I love her and I think she's good value. So if I meet someone and Jill is with me and they don't know Jill, I say, have you met my wife, Jill? And say she's a wonderful person and speak her praises to the person, but I, I know that in time, if they get to know her, they will appreciate knowing her too. And so because I love her, I want to bring Jill's goodness, not just into my life, but into the lives of others. The same with Jesus Christ. If we love him... We don't hide him from other people. When we meet people who don't know Jesus, we introduce them to Jesus. Have you met Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Have you met the Saviour? If we love him, we'll introduce him to people, particularly if they're outside of God's kingdom. What does that mean? Well, Jesus told us in this text. It means they're part of the family of Satan. And that's a dysfunctional family. A very dysfunctional family. Their father is a murderer and a liar. Who wants that kind of person for a father? They might kill you at any point, and who knows when they tell you things whether it's actually true or not. That's how the world is functioning. They're part of the family of Satan. And then you meet them, you talk to them, and they go on their merry way and you never introduce them to Jesus. When if they start to know Jesus, they actually become part of a functional family. If they start to love Jesus and trust in him, they become part of the most functional family that has ever existed. With a father who never lies. And an elder brother who always looks after those that trust the father. If you love Jesus, you'll speak of him to others. If you don't love Jesus, it shows when you don't speak of him to others. Sixthly, how else can we show love? Well, we try hard to love the family and friends of those we love. When I married Jill, I inherited a family. I've got some in-laws. Now, why do I love those in-laws that I have? My mother-in-law, my father-in-law, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, nieces and nephews. Why do I love them? Well, it's because I love Jill. I would never have gotten to know them if I didn't meet Jill and didn't marry her. And I continue to love them because I love Jill. And I want to go to family gatherings. Why? Because I know Jill will be there. If Jill's not going to an in-law's function, yeah, I'm not so keen on going. I may go for because I love the kids and it's part of their family too now, their grandparents. But, you know, why do I go to in-laws functions? Because I know Jill will be there. And if I'm there, 
I can be in Jill's presence round those other people. It's the same with Christ's family. If you love Jesus, you want to love his family. You get some in-laws when you become part of Jesus' family, when you marry Christ. When you believe in Christ, you become part of his bride and you love his family. Now, not all Christians are as easy to love as some of them are. Some of them you have a natural affinity to. Same with when you get married. Yeah. Some of the in-laws you really like. Others are a little bit more difficult. Same with Jesus' family. Some of them you'll love. You'll get along fine. Some of them will be a bit more difficult. But you love them all. Why? Because Jesus loves them all. Just as Jill loves all her family, and so I love all her family because Jill loves them, so I should love all of Christ's family. If I love Jesus, I seek to love his family. I seek to enjoy their company. And I seek to go to things where his family will be. Why? Because he will be there. Why do you come to church? It's because your friends will be there? Well, that's nice. It's a bit of a social occasion for you. That's great. I like that you like the people here. But the main reason you should come to church is because you know Jesus will be present. He's the one you love. He'll be around his family. He made the promise in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 18. He says, for where two or three come together in my name, there I will be with them. There am I with them. And so we should want to be around the family of God because when two or three are there, Jesus will be there. We should want to come to prayer meetings, to Bible studies, to occasions where Christians will be together, not just Sunday morning services, but particularly Sunday morning services where there's a real focus upon Jesus and he's especially present amongst us. We love the family of God because Jesus loves the family of God and wants to be there. And we certainly should never persecute the family of God if we truly love Jesus. Imagine if you declared all-out war with your mother-in-law. How would your spouse feel? about your love towards her or him? They wouldn't feel that you love them very much if you're going after their mother. It's the same with the family of God. If you declare all-out war with another member of Christ's family, it's not an expression of love towards Jesus. We must love the family of God if we love Jesus. And seven, how else can we love Jesus? by encouraging those in a relationship with the one we love. Sometimes, when we've got two friends that we love dearly, they might have a tiff and a fight, and part of our expression of love for them is to reconcile them, get them back together. Or sometimes we just need to speak encouraging words about a mutual friend. We say, oh, I really love so-and-so. Isn't it wonderful uh, what they did? And you speak nicely about a mutual friend. And it's the same with us with Jesus Christ. If another Christian is grumbling against Jesus, what is your job? Well, if you love Jesus, you try and encourage that person to be back in right relationship with Jesus. To not say that about Jesus. Remember his fine qualities, how wonderful he is. Don't speak that way about him. You try and reconcile them. And when you're around other Christians, you should speak lovingly of Jesus, even if they're not disgruntled with Jesus. Maybe they're even extolling Jesus. You extol him too. You encourage them to love Jesus, to consider who he is. You speak fondly of him, just as you would with friends when you're talking about a mutual friend. This is why I love reading books written by 
Christians who may have passed away years ago. But I love reading them because they extol Jesus Christ to me. You can see the love that they have for Jesus and that encourages me to love Jesus more and more. There's one that I'm reading at the moment. Uh, is a collection of letters by Samuel Rutherford, a pastor in the 1600s. And it's actually available on the church library, Letters of Samuel Rutherford, although this is an abridgment. They're not all the letters are there. Um, I'm reading the full collection, and it's just wonderful. Um, I Part of the reason I've been motivated to to consider Christ more in my prayers and my love for him over the last six months is because I've been reading one of these letters each day. In the full version, there's 360-something, so it's basically a letter for every day of the year. And you can see the love that Rutherford has for Jesus Christ. People said about him, it was no one to fall asleep at night talking of Christ and even to speak of him during his sleep. Indeed, himself, he himself speaks of his dreams being of Christ. And if you read his letters, he's always speaking about Christ. I'll give you a few samples here. He says to, the, uh, to one of the recipients of his letters, he says, Jesus be your shadow and your covering. It is a sweet soul sleep to lie in the arms of Christ, for his breath is very sweet. Wonderful words from Rutherford, encouraging someone to love Jesus. And that's what someone who loves Jesus does. They speak about the sweetness of Jesus to others. Here's another one. Wait upon him, upon Jesus, as the night watch waiteth for the morning. He will not tarry. Go up to your watchtower and come not down, but by prayer and faith and hope, wait on. When you're going through troubles, watch for Jesus. He will not tarry. Go to him. And a final one. He says, be content to wade through the waters between you and glory with him, holding his hand fast, for he knows all the fords. You may be ducked, yet you cannot drown, being in his company, and you may all the way to glory see the way bedewed with his blood, who is the forerunner. As you walk your way to glory, as you go through the troubles of this world, even as you go through death itself, don't fear. Jesus knows the way. He's been ahead of you through death. He knows the way. You have no reason to fear. So do you love Jesus? He says that to the Jews here. If God were your father, you would love me. Do you love him? Do you love him in the ways I've mentioned or maybe even in other ways that I haven't mentioned? I've only given you seven this morning. Do you get to know Jesus? Do you daydream of him? Do you speak to him? Do you sing to Jesus? Do you obey him? Do you introduce people to him? Do you love his family and encourage his family in their relationship with Jesus? Ask yourself, do I really love Jesus? Do I love him? And if the answer is yes, as you look at your life and you see your love for Jesus, then know that you are blessed. You are loving someone who is more than fitting to receive your love. You're incredibly blessed, and God is your Father. But if, as you look at your life now, and you consider it, and you find you don't love Jesus, the ways that I've spoken of today, you don't find that they're present in your life. And there's only one conclusion. The Father that you have is Satan. The Father you have is the devil. And that is a scary thought. You can't say that 
God is your father and you not love Jesus Christ. There's only one conclusion. Your father is the devil. It's one of the strongest denunciations that Jesus ever gives anyone is here in these verses today. Your father is the devil. A scary thought. Why is it such a scary thought? Because the omnipotent, the omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign God has set his face firmly against Satan and his followers. And one day there will be a final judgment where all those who are part of the family of Satan will be condemned for eternal punishment, for rebelling against God. Don't let it be. If that is you, as you look at your life now, you scrutinise it carefully and you see there's not a love for Jesus. Don't let it be. Start loving him today. Come to him in confession now. Say sorry for turning from you, Lord Jesus, for the things that I've said against you, for the ways that I have not loved you. Forgive me, accept me. I trust that your death was for me. And start loving him as you should. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak. We praise you, Lord Jesus, even now. You are our prophet, our priest, our king, our shepherd, our bridegroom, our redeemer, our intercessor, our captain, and our friend. Oh, Lord Jesus, may our love increase for you. We know that there's always more room for love in our hearts for you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would make it so, so that we can show that God is indeed our Father. Help us to love you by learning about you, by dreaming of you, by speaking of you, by obeying you, by inviting people to meet you. There is no greater person we can introduce people to. Lord, we pray that we would do so. And Lord, we pray that we would love your family and encourage them with words, good words about you to cultivate an even greater love in them for yourself. We pray these things in your name. Amen.